Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Power Your Life, and I'm Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here. And I want you to think about something today, because we go through lots of different challenges in our lives, and oftentimes we can get through them unscathed, and and oftentimes we don't even look back, but sometimes it's important to go through something not something that you planned or that you even wanted, that actually has something to offer other people. And I have a very special guest today who's going to share a tragedy that's actually turning into something wonderful for others in terms of hope. And I'm talking about Kim Canton, who is an author, wife and mother who lost her husband and her son in a crushing mudslide and in her darkest time after being separated from her entire family Kim found the courage and the strength to carry on with her daughter Lauren who had also miraculously survived Kim enjoyed beforehand a 20 year career in sales and marketing leadership in medical devices working for a fortune 500 company and later Kim created her own successful marketing consulting firm and eventually worked as a senior director of marketing for Teleflex Urology. Despite Kim's devastating loss, she and her daughter were able to start their new life, fueled by love, faith, determination, unconventional support, and unexpected wisdom. Kim recounts this journey in her incredible memoir, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, and through Kim's patience, perseverance, and her willingness to be open to help and to healing, Kim confirms the ability to connect and tra- love's ability, excuse me, to connect and transcend beyond life. Welcome, Kim Canton. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, and I don't know that a lot of people remember the mudslides of 2018, but can you go back a little bit? I know it may it's it's not a beautiful memory, but I think it, it helps our listeners understand where you are today and where sure. you come from. Sure. So in 2017, in December of 2017, there started what was then the largest wildfire in California. It was called the Thomas Fire, and it started in Ventura, California, and it started roaring north towards Santa Barbara and Montecito. And there were multiple evacuations. I know our family evacuated three times due to the fire. And um, they had on your phones, it almost was sounding like an amber alert. It would blast to tell you the status, and if you needed to evacuate. It was called an aware and beware um, signal. 
and you would watch the news. <clears throat> and so that happened, and we evacuated three times. We got back, I think, to Santa Barbara on December 22nd, so it was the holiday that never happened for most of Montecito. Um, packages weren't delivered. Mailboxes were taped over. Um, and we had a nice Christmas. We were thrilled our home was saved. We had to clean up all the ash and get the carpets to the cleaners. And then in um, early January, they were forecasting some heavy rain. And you got to remember that when the, when the fire roared through the mountains that are above Santa Barbara, it took out all the big trees and the foliagery. So what was left were car-sized boulders sometimes you'd see hanging precariously on the hillside. And there were houses up there near those boulders. And I remember thinking, gosh, I feel so bad for those houses up on the hill by the boulders. And I didn't feel bad for me because I was down in the village, kind of far, seemed far away. Right. And, uh, but nonetheless, we prepped the house for rain. I had a hotel room um, booked in case we needed to get out with heavy rain. We had the sandbags up. We had the trains cleared. And um, we weren't in the mandatory evacuation. So we went to bed on January uh, 8th. And at about 3 in the morning, we awoke to very, very heavy rain, torrential rain, and so my husband quickly went to look around the house, and he says, we're taking in water in the detached garage. We yelled to the kids, get dressed, we're, we're leaving, because uh, we had cars staged outside to leave. And um, tragically enough, our family didn't get out before our house was obliterated by a 30-foot wave filled with 100-year-old downed trees, car-sized boulders, and mud um, that crashed down on our house and just obliterated it with my family in it. And when that happened... Um, my husband washed away to his death. Um, my son perished. He ended up being considered missing. The 23 people died that night, and two of them, a two-year-old little girl, Lydia, and my 17-year-old son, Jack, were listed as missing. My daughter was washed away a football field distance and was buried alive under 20 feet of mud, part of a roof, two cars, an electrical transformer for six hours, six hours until her miraculous rescue that was shown around the world. She, she unbelievably had a little tiny pocket of air the size of half a volleyball in front of her face, not her belly button, not her kneecap, but her face with a little tiny hole the size of a straw that allowed her to breathe. And um, she yelled and yelled and yelled, and through that muffling of all the in her entombment of 20 feet of mud, it was really hard for them to hear her, but they, they did. Um, I washed away two football fields, and I ended up um, severely injured in, a, in an intersection wrapped in electrical wires. Wow. How do you even get past that? What did you do to, to help you, you and your daughter heal and, and, and get to the other side of, of this horrific tragedy? It's a good question. Um, I did a lot uh, um, in terms of just being open to things that I would need. Um, they had different therapy groups. They had a group therapy session for the survivors of the mudslide. The hospital did. I did individual therapy. I did trauma therapy called EMDR, which is just tapping for PTSD. Um, I fundamentally, um, I had a tribe of people around me that were so um, supportive and compassionate. The whole town of Santa Barbara was unbelievably compassionate. And so I think my anecdote my anecdote in the whole situation were people. And I'm more naturally, it's interesting, even though I was in sales and marketing, I naturally have some introversion in my 
framework. So I get energy sometimes by being alone. And if I'm in big crowds, it drains my energy. And I kind of flipped after the mudslide where I knew I needed people and they were healing for me. And um, so I'd say people were my anecdote, being vulnerable and open to all the various supports that I needed from, you know, trauma therapy to widow's group, you know, all that stuff. It's not easy. So when you were referred to an intuitive and a medium, so you, you had an initial response to that. What what was the response and what happened after, Kim? Well, I was in the hospital and my friend Marcia told me something. She goes, I just um, sent your name to a renowned evidentiary medium, Suzanne Giesman, and because she was trying to get on her list to get a reading for herself. But Suzanne, I think, is booked for like the next three years. And um, <laughs> she told, she said, um, you know, can you get my friend on the list? She really needs your help. Her son's missing, and we want to see if we can find anything to find him. So she told me that in the hospital. I'm like, I'll try anything. You know, I didn't have much experience at all with mediums. I didn't have a negative perception. I just didn't have my, my life as a busy mom with two kids and a career and a husband didn't afford me time to do learning about all that stuff. So um, I had my first reading with Suzanne, and it was really, really helpful. And I think in my healing, other than people, the compassion and the different therapies, my um, I had a you know a couple um, mediums or intuitives who you know they never asked for a dime because they knew that there was a missing two missing children, so they were they were using their talents for good. And um, they helped me a lot, you know, in trying to get clues of, of where Jack could be. You know, it wasn't easy. It was a 30-square-mile of mud and debris. So they were helpful in in help in, in finding him? In clues, sure, yeah. We got clues, and we would mark any of the clues that the intuitives, we had a big map, and we marked the clues um, of areas that we could say that's kind of what the intuitive is describing or something we found, like one of them was, um, you know, Superman or Superman's important. So we put on the map where the Superman costume was found or the Superman figurine was found. Um, And then, you know, um, we'd mark where any of the Canton items were found, Dave's shorts, um, a spoon of ours, um, my nightgown, you know, all that stuff. Um, And we would... So we would use them, and it kept what was what was so fascinating when we I put I think blue dots and red dots. So say blue dots were any clues the intuitives gave us, and red dots were things that we found that were Canton. Could be my work papers, could be Jack's backpack. They overlapped the same area in a 30 square mile um, wow. large area, and it clustered probably into mm, about 100 yards. Amazing. So how yeah, how did you amazing? Yeah. So here you are today. That was two thousand eighteen, and a different time. What did you do personally for your journey to get to a place of, of feeling better about life, better about yourself and be able to move forward? Mm, you know what? It wasn't Although I was very open and deliberate in going to different things to heal, right, the therapies and all that stuff, um, 
I just sat down during COVID to start writing the book. And what I didn't realize, Joanne, is that that process of writing the book, because I wanted to write it for my future grandkids one day so that they heard the real story from me and I had the facts before I forgot them. Um, And Mm -hmm. Lauren told her story. So the book also tells the firsthand story of, of Lauren being buried alive, which everyone saw her rescue, so people are, like, pretty interested in that one. Um, I didn't realize as I was going through that until probably 70% of the way through it, going, this is this is pretty cathartic and really reflective. I saw in myself as I wrote it this, I started off in more desperate grief, right? And as, as I went through the whole process of the search, we searched for my son for three years, um, I had more of a peaceful acceptance because what the intuitives would say, Jack would say, is, Mom, don't worry about finding me. It's just a shell. I'm I'm not that piece of remains. I'm me. I'm in spirit, right? And I got mad when he'd say that. I'm like, dude, I need you found. I need you buried next to your father. And um, as we went through it, I could see in the book as I, you know, and we were doing the search that I did get less attached to a specific outcome. And when you get less attached to a specific outcome of anything in life, right? If you say, I've got to go to see this movie today. And if I don't see this movie today, life's going to really be bad. Whatever, if you're so attached to any one thing, that leads to unhappiness. So I, I saw myself be less attached to a specific outcome and just be more present in the moment. And that's how it kind of, that's how it kind of occurred is through the book. And now the book's out. I've been really surprised, actually, Joanne, of how that's shifted me almost like a step function shift into ready to move forward. You know, I grieved for five years because I had so much going on. I had to get a new house. I had to stabilize for Lauren. I had to learn to walk again. Um, all that stuff, my grief was delayed for my husband. I was searching for my son for three years, and so I had to get through it all. And now I've, uh, through this book, um, I think that really helped me heal. You know, I think sometimes that's so very important, being able to, when people do journaling, being able to write down their feelings and their fears and their grief and whatever. It's a way of releasing and and coming to terms with that, Kim, so so that's understandable. Now, you mentioned talking to Jack or hearing Jack. How did that come about? Well, that was with the intuitives, right? Um, they would do a reading, and it seemed like between Dave and Jack, Jack was much more communicative, and they would say, boy, Jack is an awesome communicator. Like, multiple <laughs> would say, like, he communicates really well, um, and I think he was really trying. He was really, he knew, you know, I think he, they probably knew how much I needed Jack found. It was just such a, I can't tell you how heart-wrenching it is to have not only your firstborn or your child killed, right, suddenly, tragically, traumatically, but then not to find his body so you could have some closure and to think he could be in a debris pile or hauled away by one of the trucks hauling away the dirt it was pain, pain beyond any imagination. And um, so I think if he could, I think he did, I think he tried to help as much as he could um, with clues or, you know, accessing the different mediums I was, I was using. You know, after a certain time, I think that, that police stopped looking for bodies or giving up or whatever. So how did that 
search for Jack continue for three years? Um, well, I realized, you know, they had, I think, 2,000 search dog hours, and I think it was after Super Bowl Sunday 2018. I think they kind of, kind of, you know, they considered it still an open missing case, but they kind of said we're done looking, right? Um, right. And they just made assume, hey, they probably went to the ocean. And I knew he didn't go to the ocean. It was a low tide. It didn't make sense because Lauren... Jack, the dog, and I were all in the house, and, and Lauren, the dog, and I went only maximum 200 yards. Dave went a mile and a half, but he was outside the house. Jack was in the house, so Jack had to be closer. Just logically, he had to be closer. So um, once I realized that there wasn't much of anything going on, I just said, then I'm leading the search. And uh, there was a house that came down. So many houses were damaged, I think over 400, something like that. Um, one house that had a, a sub, not a basement, but an under under area that they couldn't get to right away. It was too wet and dangerous for the dogs. You know, we had the dogs go there, and they took down the house. And, and I overheard many of the handlers saying, oh, we couldn't search that pile. It was too wet and dangerous for the dogs. Oh, we didn't get to that pile either. And so when they were saying, oh, no, we searched everything, I heard <laughs> Clearly they didn't because at the time it was too dangerous for the dogs. Um, And then when I was out on the search, I had a course search team, about five people. Um, We found many areas that had never been searched. Property owners saying, yeah, we hauled away 18 truckloads and dogs never searched the area and we didn't have it spotted. Or another one with over 30 truckloads, never had dogs run it, never spotted. So, uh, you know, a pit goes to the bottom of your stomach when that happens, and uh, you're like, oh, my God. Um, but we had a core group of about five of us, a general contractor, an intuitive, um, a couple neighbors, um, one of the the dads in my um, husband's scout troop. Um, he would always come out. So it was a really and – the, and, the, and a search dog handler and his dog, MacGyver, would come out all the time, and a couple um, search dog handlers would come out. So I, I was I was point person leading it until um, a detective friend told me, hey, you know, you need to get um, an anthropology team in, involved. You could be looking for really small things now, not a six foot tall um, male. And so we right. got the uh, a professor from the University of California, Santa Barbara, top ten in uh, anthropology as a research institution, and um, she was kind, compassionate, and professional. And um, they worked for about 18 months, her and some student volunteers, um, looking for baby baby Lydia and Jack. Wow, amazing. So you talked about the writing process, which is was a form of healing for you. And many people go through loss, and, and, and sometimes over the last few years that's been increased for a lot of people. What do you want them to know? What do you, what's important for people to know that have been through it or even going through it now, Kim, and being on the other side of it? Okay, I would probably tell them, first of all, when going through hell, keep going. And just keep putting one foot in front of another. Um, be vulnerable and open because I think different angels will show up in your life, meaning people, people I didn't know showed up in my life that absolutely made a huge difference for me. My sacred search team did. Um, and it will get lighter. It will get lighter. Um, get yourself as much help as you can. 
Um, it will get lighter over time. It's not going to go away. You, you learn to, you never get closure. Um, you get more integration and adaptation. I'm learning to live alongside it um, with, you know, you still miss them. I mean, you know, but you're filling, fill your life with other new experiences and, and there's, you know, uh, other experiences in life to live and so and and grief look we we all don't get get out of this place alive right and so we all all of us if we've loved it's a part of the human condition we're going to face grief it matters just when um and 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 then you got to live alongside it yeah and that's so very true because we do face different kinds of grief and and it's important to get to that place that you can get through it, like you said, just keep going through it, which is important, and, and be able to come to hopefully some place of peace. Now, you said your daughter was buried alive and, and for yeah. days it wasn't found. How is, how is Lauren? How did she Yeah, she wasn't dazed, thank God, or she wouldn't have survived. Um, she was buried alive for six hours, and she was fully conscious, and... Um, her body was kind of in a bent-over position, almost like a starfish. Um, but she yelled and yelled and yelled. And when she heard some of the rescuers, she heard them talking. She just yelled as, right. as loud as she could. Um, so she got rescued, and, um, you know, she's been, you know, she did a lot of singing for her healing. She, she um, likes to sing, and that makes her feet feel on the ground so that was good for her it was really good for the community because everyone saw her come out of her entombment and for them to see her sing at a fundraiser just touched people's hearts and made them know um she'll be okay i mean we hope she'll be okay she's got a lot of trauma i hope she still does singing (laughs) i do too I do too. Yeah, she's it's her thing. It's not my thing. <laughs> you don't want me singing, but she's great at it. <laughs> so you've been through a lot in terms of discouragement and the grief, and and also the prolonged finding the remains of of Jack. So how did you get through that? What? How do you? How are you able to? get to a place of, you know, many people are very impatient, especially I'm seeing that so much now, and they, and they may not be going through what you've endured, Kim. What what are some valuable things for you, that you use that people can use in terms of feeling a sense of, of patience and perseverance to plow through? Well, that was the hardest thing for me. I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm typically, I'm, I'm typically a, you know, fast-paced get it done yesterday kind of person, um, I was forced to, right? I couldn't make the search go any faster. And so I had to just kind of let go and let God. And actually it was the nun at my church, and she kept saying, she goes, all in God's time, God's time is the right time. And I got mad at her for saying that because I'm like, I want him found now, or I want to get through this grief now. But I think she was right. Um, it took us three years to to find Jack, and um, if I had been told in the hospital, Joanne, that we just found pieces of him and not the whole body, I would have been probably in the fetal position, right? Through the process of searching was healing for me, the trying, knowing that Jack knew I tried. Um, 
by the time we got to the point where we just found pieces, um, I was less, I was, I was, I was a little bit more okay with that. Um, so what did I do? I don't, I think it's just being open and vulnerable. Be open. Look, when you have a major trauma or tragedy or grief, it's, it's like peeling an onion. And I think we're all supposed to have the layers of our onion peeled uh, in this life and um, move more toward love. And so just be open to that. It's going to feel uncomfortable, right, because it's this new place you don't want to be. But just trust the process. I think it's trust the process. And um, knowing it will get lighter, trust the process. Which is not always easy, as you say, Kim, to do, but it, but it's really important. Now you mentioned your, the nun who, who told you about the patients. And, and how did your spiritual <clears throat> excuse me, beliefs and faith help you? Oh, they they helped me. I'm I'm so grateful. I came into the mudslide with strong faith. I mean, when it happens, I you know I was, I, you know I, I when I woke up on that debris pile. Well, when when it started roaring in, I'm like I'm gonna die tonight. And then I'm like Jesus save me, Jesus save me, because I'm Christian. And and then when I was on the debris pile and I woke up, I thought I was in a war zone. I didn't know where I was. If I was in heaven, I didn't know. And I just said the Lord's Prayer. It was soothing for me. Um, it comforted my terrified soul. Um, I, I felt I was fortunate to know I believe in a higher power, whatever higher power, you know, people believe in. For me, it was very soothing. And then through the work with the intuitives and mediums, I got really, really clear, more spiritually clear, that we are more than our physical bodies, that um, our souls go on, I believe, to live in a different um, dimension that we can't, our human eyes can't see. But I, I personally believe my husband and son, like many others that pass away, you know, um, they, the souls go on in pure joy. Um, I just can't see them. So I'm much right. more spiritual, much more open. Um, spiritual, open, um, still have a strong faith. I never, some people get really angry with God when something happens and getting mad, and I never blamed God for this. I don't think he caused this, and um, I, I never had that reaction. Um, you know, I had this this um, paradox, right, or this, this I, I knew for sure that Lauren and I survived the unimaginable. We were swimming with car-sized boulders, downed electrical live wires, uh, broken wow. glass from all the windows in people's homes, right? There's no reason why Lauren and I should be alive. And so we survived. So there was like, thank you very much for all the angels or whomever helped in saving us, right? And then the juxtaposed against the traumatic grief of losing my husband, my son, and my dog, um, you know, and the house. I mean, that, um, right. you know, the whole kitten caboodle. I'm with you. I also believe that the soul lives on and, and have worked with, with people who, like you, have gotten messages from the other side, which is really important. So how do you keep it going in terms of the connection to your husband and, and to 
Jack and even your dolls, do you celebrate? What do you, what do, you do? How do you connect? Do you connect? No, not that I don't do, you know, uh, I don't do intuitive readings much anymore. I don't, I don't feel I need them as much. I do get a sense I feel them sometimes or just little, you know, I was visiting my parents, you know, on the East Coast and just get there and a couple cardinals zoop on in and the cardinals kind of, I think, symbolic of someone who's passed. Um, when I'm in my regular home, there's two birds that um, seem to always sit on this electrical wire and peer into my master bedroom, so I see it with birds. Mm-hmm. So I just I just kind of get the sense, or just little things where my husband drove a white Silverado Chevy truck, and he loved that truck because he used it for scouts and everything. And so when I see a white truck, you know, I just smile um, <laughs> and, you know, just think of him, you know. So you just... Or, or like what I've done is like in my home, my son loved the color orange. So on some of the accents I have, I use like white plates in my kitchen and white and gray. And, and then I got like an orange, a really pretty orange salt and pepper shaker, right? Like so I just add a little accents of orange, which are which is kind of an ode to my son. My husband really liked um, blue and yellow, so I got when I because I had no, I lost everything. Like I had nothing. I had to like get a whole new house and toilet bowl plunger and hammer and nails and mattress, all that stuff. So I got a little bistro table that has beautiful yellow and blue. And then um, miraculously, a couple pieces of Dave's artwork from high school that were in a zipped leather folio that was in our attic, um, someone found them, and they were they were unscathed, and they were beautiful oh. chalk drawings. And so I, I said, these are beautiful, you know, that was on like a canvas paper and then black chalk, and they were really stunning, three pictures so I took them to the framer and I said frame these up and they're going to be my artwork on my walls so um, I do that I try to honor them with things that maybe remind me of them um, or you know when I see the color orange orange is big for me for Jack and you know that's so important because we do have people who pass on and and to do what you've done in terms of the colors in a way of honoring and celebrating your connection to them and them in your life and 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 uh, I think that's so beautiful and important. So this this is a hard question I think, but through tra- challenge and through tragedy like you've experienced, is there a gift is, and, and I, that may not be something that people know immediately when they're going through something, but can you speak to that a little bit? Well, a gift like a silver lining, I think a silver lining or gift for me through this process, which I, you know, I hope any future lessons God wants me to do will come painlessly. This is what was painful. Right. Um, but uh, I think I'm more, well, I'm more spiritual. I think I'm more empathetic. I'm more vulnerable. Um, I don't have as many maybe emotional walls up because I'm like, I almost died. I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Um, uh, life's too short, right? Life's too short. It's about people. It's about loving people. That's what it's about. Um, so that's a silver lining. A major silver lining is I got to see the best of humanity. I mean, how the people in, Mon- in um, Santa Barbara and Montecito rallied to help um, the survivors. And my daughter and I was bar none, um, and it wasn't just the grief tourists that come in for the first two weeks. 
These people, I mean, I met a sacred search team that stayed with me for over three years. Who wow. Does that? Who stays and goes out with me almost every other week for three years? I'm like, can we just try this one area again? And they're like, sure. And then one of the gals, Ann, said to Sherry, because we couldn't see as many piles anymore, we'd gone through it after so many years. She goes, when will we know we're done here? Because they looked around like, we're not seeing much. And right. one of them said to the other, when Kim tells us we're done. And so that wow. was a huge gift of grief. It's not when, it's when the person's done. Like people try to say, get over it. It's been a year. It's been two years. Get over it. The best gift you can give someone in grief is to be there on their time. Right. It's all, everyone's grief journey is different. And and for different reasons, it's going to take different times. You know, that, um, that's just, so very important. I worked with someone years ago who had lost her her mother and father very close together, and her friends were saying, okay, it's time. It's, and she said, Joanne, I, I'm not ready. I, I wish people would not tell me to stop grieving because I, I can't. And that's so important to allow people the the time that they need to grieve and to to get through it. Yeah. That's very important. And like you said too, Kim, to be there for them, which was which is a beautiful way of supporting and caring. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Just holding the space oh. and and just to hold it with them and just just go, you know, I feel for you. And just you, hold, you don't have to do much other than that. I feel for you. I you know, uh, what do you need? Um, that's that's usually enough for someone in grief. That's true. So this book, let's talk a little bit about the book and what's the significance of this? I love the title, but what's the significance behind it, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom? Yeah, so the book is Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, and, and my daughter helped come up with the name. I credit her for it. But when we when the university ultimately found some of the bones that we believe are Jack's, um, you know, all these piles of mud, right, um, they they were filled with all the toxins from these 450 homes that were destroyed. And so all the stuff in their garage, their paints, their paint thinners, their insecticides, their flea oh, dip, God. all that stuff, right, insulation. So there's arsenic. They, what they called it was a chemical soup. Um, there was arsenic in the soil. And, and the thought was nothing should really grow in there because it's such a toxic soup. But the the pile where some of the remains of Jack uh, were found was were covered and graced with beautiful yellow wildflowers, and so one of the university students um, who found the bones she clipped some of the yellow wildflowers and she drove it over to my house and put them in a vase and she said life found a way, and I wow. said um, love found a way. Beautiful and love did find a way. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So tell our listeners, Kim Canton, how they can get this book, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, find out more about your journey and also Lauren's journey and help themselves heal if they need to. Um, sure. So it's on Amazon, Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, um, and people have said who've read it that's really helped them either get access to their grief or shift them and kind of how they're looking more hopefully, which um, that's my goal, right? I just I wrote this book. It healed me, and I hope it helps others, um, even people who didn't go through grief but are just kind of in maybe a different phase of their life where they're just kind of feeling in a funk. Um, 
they said it gave him some more hope. And then I have a website, kimcanton.com, and Canton is C-A-N-T-I-N, like a tin can, so kimcanton.com. It has all the information of, um, you know, where you can get the book, but, uh, you know, it's in some bookstores in Santa Barbara and such. Uh, But right now, um, you know, it's on Amazon. And it's beautiful. (laughs) It really is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really important. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? You've shared a lot of your journey and all the tragedy and the hope and and all the support that you got that really helped you through. What would you like our listeners to know before we close? Um, That helping others makes a difference. I mean, the help that Lauren and I received and the other survivors, I think, was instrumental in our healing. So when you can help another, even with a smile or just an act of kindness, um, it makes a difference. So so keep doing it. That's what I'd say. Beautiful. And I totally agree with you. I think it's so important to reach out to people and be there like others were for you. And again, like you are for other people through this book and through your talks on shows and whatever, helping people heal and get pass their grief to a, to another place. So thank you so much. I appreciate you and all that you do and been through, and have a beautiful day. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks a ton. My pleasure. So think about everything that Kim shared today, because it's so important to recognize that despite the challenges, the grief, whatever you've been through, there is a way through it. There is a way, and Kim said, to be able to just keep going, to persevere, to move on, and to not give up. And she didn't give up three years to be able to find Jack's remains and and get to a place of peace. It's really important to recognize that you need to have that sense of love, that faith, whatever kind of faith you have, and, and just be able to move forward and also, in terms of grief, and I think this is really important and Kim touched on this today too, is you may need to take your time. And, and people may not understand that you need longer than what they expect, but they need to know that and be there for people. Even when you are going through something, there is a gift of, uh, and Kim also talked about that too, the gift of kindness from other people and being there and caring that really helped both her and Lauren get through it. So remember that you have the ability to empower yourself regardless of what you're through and even if you just have to take one step at a time. So take a step today, a little forward step in the direction of your empowerment, feeling good about you, and remember that every step counts. Have a beautiful and blessed day, and thanks so much for being here with us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.